Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Did you figure it out? Yesterday we teased that for the first time in the history of this podcast, we would be having a guest on the Three Martini Lunch. So we're glad that you have your stool, but it's a four-stool table today. And we had some guesses. Most of them were incorrect. One of them, Jim, on Twitter was that we might have former New York Jets coach Adam Gase. Uh, no, it is not Adam Gase. We can put that to rest, correct? It would just be an hour of Jim screaming into the microphone. <laughs> but it is sports-related. Uh, in just a moment, we'll be joined by Bob Costas, the Hall of Fame sportscaster, who we've uh, had some critical things to say about in the past regarding his uh, commentary a number of years ago now about uh, guns and gun control, gun culture at halftime of a uh, NFL game. That was actually back in December of 2012 now. More recently, we've been very complimentary towards uh, Bob Costas and the comments he made about the IOC, International Olympic Committee, kowtowing to China. And we'll also be talking about... Um, wokeness in sports in just a moment. But uh, before we get to that, we have to talk about our wonderful sponsor for the day, at least our first sponsor, and that's Omaha Steaks. Just this week, another delicious meal courtesy of Omaha Steaks. Last week, I talked about the burgers. This week, the chicken. The chicken along with the au gratin potatoes. Utterly fantastic. There's nothing you're not going to like in the box you get from Omaha Steaks. And right now, you'll want to go to omahasteaks.com and enter Martini into the search bar to order their perfect gift package. For just $99.99, you get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breast, sides, desserts, and so much more. And when you use the code MARTINI, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. And, you know, some folks are having shipping delays. Some shipping companies are having delays. So don't wait omahasteaks.com get those eight free burgers when you enter the code martini omahasteaks.com keyword martini and so without any further ado bob costas hall of fame broadcaster you know mostly from his nearly 40 years at nbc sports covering everything from the nfl to the nba major league baseball host of the olympics for decades really uh and he has asked and we have uh, happily granted him time to respond to how we have characterized some of his comments uh, over the years Bob, thank you very much for your time today. We greatly appreciate it. Hi, Greg. Hello, Jim. And here is my larger point. A person can and should defend a position or a worldview that they actually hold. But how are you supposed to defend a position or a characterization that has been assigned to you because maybe initially people need straw men or they only are able to see things in primary colors, and then people of good faith, as I'm assuming you and Jim are, are taking their cues from that. That's what they know. They're not delving any deeper into it. And so a certain characterization, not in the larger audience, but in certain segments of the audience, a certain characterization of me has taken hold, which I alternately find amusing or annoying. I am not a hard-left person. If I was, anyone who knows me personally would say he'd defend that. He wouldn't back away from something he actually believes. I'm probably a classic center-left person based on how that was defined as I was growing up. And that would be in general. Even then, 20 years ago, I might differ from those who would define themselves that way when it came to certain circumstances and issues. But I most certainly don't align myself with what are now called progressives or worse yet woke people certainly don't in that respect 
Uh, I think sensible people who have, are classic liberals should call that out, not just distance themselves from it because it's uncomfortable for them, but call them out because philosophically there's a, they're opposed to it. The same way actual conservatives and actual Republicans, to the extent they still exist, should differentiate themselves from Trump cultists. I've always been an a la carte guy, no matter what it comes to, including just sports issues. I land where common sense and my understanding of the evidence tells me to land. And I know some people listening to this, not all, I hope, but some people listening to this, their immediate reaction is, oh, yeah, sure, but that's not what I have heard, not what I think. But if this were a court of law and that was actually the charge, all I would have to do is bring out tape upon tape upon tape until people's eyes rolled that would refute that characterization. So that's the generalization. Mr. Costas, we had a chance to talk earlier this week, and oh, please uh, call me, call me Bob, right. or, or, or your Highness, but certainly not. Mr. <laughs> all right, Bob, your Highness. Um, yeah. We had a chance to talk earlier this week, and you mentioned that in all those times, what what we do you know I when Greg and I have tweaked you a little bit was over your commentaries during the uh, hosting Sun- Sunday Night Football on NBC, mm-hmm. and you said to me that was two out of like a hundred you done over the years, and if right. if there was two out of a hundred, and we characterized it as you being a hard left liberal based on those, then then I feel bad about that. One thing I will note, and I think we'll talk a little about we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast after we've talked about the Olympics, is kind of this question of like, okay, people's reaction to a political comment will often be highly context dependent. And people watching halftime of a sports show might not expect to say, here's what I think about uh, gun control, or here's why I think the Washington Redskins should change their name. And that I suspect is why people may have reacted as strongly as they did that just give us the scores and highlights. We don't necessarily, you know, we didn't name the team. We don't have, we didn't were responsible for that particular gun incident that had caused that commentary. Actually, I'd like to jump right into the IOC and the Olympics. Sure. Um, because you had commented on Jake Tapper's program either, I suppose, late last week. Um, and you as a long time, like the, really the face of the Olympics in this country for such a long time. Mm-hmm. The U.S. finds itself in this really awkward position of the games are going to be held in Beijing. China is undoubtedly perpetuating genocide. Um, they've had, you know, the, the recent uh, seeming abduction or silencing of Peng Shui. Yep. What should the U.S. be doing here? It's, it feels like we're, there's a danger we're going to be complacent to something really horrible going on. But I want you to weigh in at, at, at as much time as you like. Well, there's a larger political and foreign policy question that is deeply complicated and is beyond my expertise to say this is what any administration should do or what their policy should be. I'll leave that to people who are more steeped in the history of all this and have a greater knowledge of it. But when it comes to the separate issue of the Olympics, I think, unsatisfying as it may be, the course of action now that the Biden administration is taking is the correct one. Diplomatic boycott, not sending anyone except those who are essential the athletes and those who are essential to helping them compete. We know what happened in 1980 when Jimmy Carter uh, imposed a complete boycott after the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. It didn't affect Soviet policy very much, and it deprived all those American athletes of a chance to compete. And then the Soviets and the Eastern Bloc retaliated because the next Summer Olympics was four years later, 1984 in Los Angeles, and they didn't show up. Not much accomplished in terms of geopolitics and a lot of athletes hurt in the process. So I think the best outcome here would be symbolically the U.S. is stepping aside and that's getting a lot of uh, coverage. 
And the best thing that can happen after that is that the Americans win a whole lot of gold medals and the Chinese are forced to listen to the Star Spangled Banner over and over again. Bob, in terms of the argument over the boycott, um, some folks say, well, look what we did. We went to the games in 1936 in Berlin, although we certainly didn't know then what we knew just a few years later in, in Nazi yep. Germany. Uh, but that, uh, that emboldened that regime. And that's what they're saying, at least some on Capitol Hill and elsewhere are saying, would happen if we send our athletes there, even if we don't send a diplomatic contingent, which has been announced and the Chinese disinvited us anyway. So uh, what do you make of that particular argument that just even sending the athletes, as much as we want them to go, they've dedicated their whole lives to this, we want to see them win gold medals, uh, in some way uh, emboldens uh, the Chinese Communist Party? Well, there, there's, no, there's no question uh, that in the short term, Hitler benefited from it, or he might have thought that he and the Third Reich benefited from it. Uh, Leni Reifenstahl, who was a brilliant filmmaker in the service, obviously, of something evil, Triumph of the Will, and then Olympia, which was uh, specifically geared toward the 1936 Olympics, up the ante on all that propaganda. But we might say parenthetically that one of the things that came out of it was that Jesse Owens won a bunch of gold medals right, uh, right under Hitler's nose and refuted, at least symbolically, that whole notion of Aryan supremacy. It should also be said that at that time, uh, the IOC and the USOC were not in any best sense of this term progressive as we would define it today. There was anti-Semitism and racism infecting both of, of those organizations, and they might have been less inclined. In fact, to some extent, they bent the knee to Hitler, disgraceful uh, as that may be. So in, in retrospect, yeah, yeah, the, the, the family of nations, forget about the United States, the family of nations, many of whom soon found themselves at war uh, with the Third Reich, maybe they should have made that statement at that time. But that predates my birth, Jim. One, we've, we've talked about what the U.S. government should do, and I think most people think, okay, good, diplomatic uh, uh, boycott, even though they disinvited us. You know, we're not giving any symbolic support of this. Um, you had a, a very detailed commentary about this. Look, you were the face of the Olympics for a lot of years. Yeah, I assume you're still on good terms with a lot of folks at NBC Sports. I sure hope so. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of corporate sponsors. Should they be covering these games differently? Should they, they be treating these games differently than we would a quote-unquote ordinary Olympic Games? I can tell you this, and I have to preface it from my own peace of mind by saying that not only do I have friends and colleagues there, but 95% of what they have done over time I deeply respect and admire. They do a wonderful job in covering the basic sports, the competitions, the backstories, and all those things. And I also recognize that executives have a number of things to worry about. There's a diplomatic aspect to being in any country, some more perilous than others. So one of the things they face here is we know that the Chinese, even more so under Xi than in his predecessor, he's so absolutist, so hardline, that it's impossible to predict how they might respond. So even if they were to simply acknowledge what the issues are, let alone take a strong editorial position on those issues, it's entirely possible that the Chinese could cut the feed. Every time CNN has talked about uh, this issue. Um, Patrick McEnroe, younger brother of John McEnroe, is a tennis commentator. He was talking about the WTA situation on CNN. Boom, it's an international network. Boom, the feed went blank. Uh, they took Celtic games off the air when uh, Ennis Cantor, who has redubbed himself Ennis Freedom upon becoming an American citizen, he's a Turk by background, when he spoke out against the Chinese regime recently, Celtic games were taken off the air. 
Celtics, uh, well, not the Celtics in particular, but the NBA in general, very, very popular in China, and it's a lucrative market. So you're an NBC executive. You've You've invested more than a billion dollars, not just for the rights fee, but beyond that, all the production fees and the travel costs and everything else. That's what you have invested in this. The Olympics are going to happen. The Olympics, along with NFL football, are about the only thing that cuts through to a large, diverse audience demographically across the United States because the media landscape has changed so much. Primetime programs that are deemed a hit now get ratings that are minuscule alongside primetime hits of a generation ago. Here you've got this big property that you spent a lot for, and it's a gold mine for you, not just in terms of what the ratings are likely to be and the advertising rates, but it's a chance to promote your other programs. This is a business. Okay, so that's the position in which they find themselves. I can tell you this, and I, I'm not... I'm not trying to make myself any more important than I ever was, but I had a certain position there. I always tried to acknowledge at least the elephants in the room, whether it was the Olympics or NFL football or steroids in baseball. I always tried to do that. Sometimes I was able to. Sometimes they wouldn't afford me those opportunities. But I thought as best I could, even if it was only parenthetical, I would have to acknowledge those things and put put it out there for the audience. So if I were still hosting the Olympics, and I'm glad I'm not, not just because of the Beijing situation, but I did a dozen of them. So I had planned two Olympics before I finally stepped aside. I had planned the 2016 in Rio would be my last Olympics. It's only coincidental that a pandemic affected Tokyo, and now uh, now these political issues are affecting Beijing. That's only coincidental. I was going to be gone in any case. But if I were still there, I would try as best I could um, as skillfully as I could, because you're not trying to stir the pot. You've got friends and colleagues there, and who knows what the Chinese might do to make their lives difficult or uncomfortable. But as skillfully as I could, uh, I would try to make sure that we did not turn a blind eye uh, to that very large elephant in the room, if there's such a thing as a small elephant in any room. I guess one of the other things that kind of comes to mind, and, and you, this is not the first time the, the Olympics have been hosted in an authoritarian country. Did the experience of being in Russia, and I don't want to bring back any traumatic flashbacks of pink eye or anything, but like, did the experience of being there when Putin clearly was using this as this grand propaganda event and moved into Crimea not that long afterwards, mm-hmm. um, did that affect your thinking? Did that shape your, your how you view things? No, it only amplified it, mm-hmm. because I'd already taken those positions. In 1996, in Atlanta, during the opening ceremony, as the Chinese came in, I said this because it was pertinent. And understand, it's during something like the opening ceremony where there's no competition, or during little interstitial periods in between events at the Olympics. That's when you can slip these things in. I said, here are the Chinese, an economy growing at more than 10% a year, largest potential market in the world, even then over a billion people, Almost every other nation, including the United States, wants in on that market. But there are concerns about human rights issues, among other issues. They wanted to host the 2000 Olympics, which have now gone to Sydney, Australia. But the IOC backed away in part because of those concerns. And if there is any nation that has the means and the motivation to replicate the old Soviet and Eastern Bloc sports machine with all that implies, you are looking at that nation. Everything I said there was, if you want to characterize it, I guess, prescient. 
Um, and it was pertinent. That's the most important thing. It was pertinent. It was not gratuitous. The Internet was in its early stages then. But even then, they were, Beijing was able to orchestrate from there protests at 30 Rock, NBC's headquarters, Chinese-language newspapers calling for me to be fired, the Chinese government demanding a full public apology in prime time from me, which, of course, was not forthcoming. So the idea that I'm a Johnny-come-lately on this or that all of a sudden I'm free to speak my mind, again, if this were a court of law, I'd just bring out all the videos going back not years or months but decades. So that's always been my view. And very often, and I apologize for going on at length here, but you've given me the opportunity, and I thank you for it. Um, very, very often, uh, whether it's with Sochi or, or whatever else, the positions I took could have been, by those who can only paint in primary colors and don't want to be bothered with nuance and need their straw men, um, could have been characterized as conservative. When, when, when uh, Saudi Arabia came in during a number of uh, opening ceremonies, I said, here are the Saudis, once again, not a single woman in their delegation, even as the IOC says that its goal is a 50-50 split between uh, male and female competitors. Uh, Iran had a flag bearer in 19, uh, 2004 in Athens. Uh, Iran's flag bearer was uh, a judo competitor. He refused because the draw just happened to put him up against an Israeli in the first round of his competition. He refused to compete. He went home, and he was given the stipend that he would have received had he uh, been a gold medal winner, and he was greeted like a hero. Jacques Rogo was then the president of the IOC. I asked him directly, why is the entire Iranian delegation not expelled from the Olympics? Now, it, to me, that wasn't a conservative position or a liberal position. It was a common-sense position, and it was a journalistic question that should have been asked. Now, circling back... To your specific question, I sent you um, a commentary I did from Sochi about Vladimir Putin's Russia hosting these games and what that meant, both practically and symbolically. It was only two and a half minutes, but it had some kind of impact. Two and a half minutes out of three weeks' worth of commentary, just as the two commentaries you mentioned, one about guns, which was widely misunderstood, and the other about the Washington football team's nickname, those were two two-minute commentaries out of more than a hundred halftimes over the years during Sunday Night Football. And no matter what people's impressions might be, over a very long career and a diverse career at that, 99% of what I've said has been about the event. No matter what people may have extrapolated, what worldview they may have assigned to me, it's just not true. As Daniel Patrick Moynihan once famously and, and very cogently said, you're entitled to your own opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. The WTA is one of the few organizations, the Women's Tennis Organization, to actually stand up to China, has actually suspended its events for all of 2022 mm -hmm. because it's not satisfied with the answers they've gotten resulting uh, from its uh, pressure on China to, to get to the bottom of the Peng Shui situation. Is courage contagious here? They're losing potentially a billion dollars over the next several years. Or are other entities like the NBA uh, have so much more invested there that it's going to be hard for others to be contagious? Yeah, I think uh, the NBA is the best example. China is a huge NBA market, um, and we know what they do. 
they pulled Houston Rocket games off the air when Daryl Morey, then their general manager, sent a seemingly innocuous tweet, stand with Hong Kong. So we're talking about, over time, billions and billions of dollars in revenue for the NBA. But, as I have said for a long time, it's, uh, it's striking how people who speak out for social justice uh, within the NBA, not just players, but other people associated with the NBA, and I'm not here to debate their positions on domestic U.S. issues. In some cases, I would agree. In other cases, I might say that the condemnations are too sweeping and need to be contextualized. But in any case, that's their right. They speak out forthrightly. Talking about you, LeBron James. Talking switching sports about you, Colin Kaepernick. Both of whom are associated with Nike. Both of whom has products made in some cases with slave labor or near slave labor in China. And you're all conspicuously mum about this. In fact, LeBron James chastised Daryl Morey for speaking. He shouldn't have done that. Why shouldn't he have done that, LeBron? If you're going to take the positions you've taken, if you want to be some sort of successor to the Arthur Ashes and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and others who have spoken in an informed and intelligent way and an effective way about American domestic issues, Ought you not be in good stead with reasonable people when it comes to your view of China? Not, not because it's gratuitous, but you're associated with China. All of us, at least most of us, are better informed and more concerned about what's happening at home. We're not expected to, be, to comment on or, be, or care that much about what's happening overseas. But in this case, they're, they're business partners. So, yeah, um, it would be a courageous stand. If some individuals, and even if the league itself said, you know what, it's a big market, um, we understand it, but we cannot reconcile doing business with not a flawed country, the United States is flawed, but with a country that whose policies just are beyond the pale. Remember, the NBA pulled an all-star game out of Charlotte because of a transgender bathroom issue. I'm not trivializing that it's an issue it can be debated talk about it if you want but that is so trivial alongside the human rights abuses of china if if the nba were not in bed with china it would be that would be irrelevant but they're very much in bed with china and they should have to answer for it so we definitely hope the u.s brings home just a ridiculous number of gold medals but uh, if you're not quite at the olympic caliber medal and you just want to invest in gold Universal coin and bullion is the way to go. In fact, silver, which is still pretty good at the Olympics, but also very good for your portfolio, has increased 340% since 2000, and it continues trending higher. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, which just happens to be the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, the leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. 
Postage is free, and you'll be dealing with the experts. And those experts include Dr. Mike Fulgens. He leads the team at Universal Coin and Bullion. He's recognized as America's gold expert, the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. They also have the rare gold coins that you might want, but the special silver deal we've been talking about is only available when you use our code MARTINI. So use the code MARTINI when you call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, back to the conversation now. We're joined today by Bob Costas here on the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity. I'm Greg Corumbus. And, uh, Bob, let's talk a little bit more about the intermingling of politics and sports. Obviously, it goes back a long way. You mentioned Arthur Ashe and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem, obviously, still very vocal in, in, in issues he believes in strongly. Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown. I mean, it goes back mm-hmm. decades. Yep. It seems monolithic now, though. Um, We've talked about how ESPN covers uh, different political and social issues, for example, and it seems like it's not only talked about more, but there's oftentimes one perspective given. And maybe this goes into the woke area, and maybe you have uh, different views on that. Two in particular that I think of, and you mentioned uh, the ACC and and moving events out of North Carolina, and the NCAA as a whole, I think, did that. Um, But, for example, MLB, moving the All-Star game out of Georgia this year. Over, over a piece of legislation about voting. And then one that just staggered me, I think it was a couple of years ago now, where Martina Navratilova, uh, one of the first openly gay active athletes, uh, certainly at an elite level, spoke out about how biological men who now identify as women, it's not fair to have them competing against biological women. And she was largely treated like a pariah to the point where she had to apologize. So what do you think about the fact that there seems to be Yep. kind of group think here and and what's the right line to draw on uh, political discourse in the world of sports well there's all kinds of peripheral programming uh, surrounding sports generally speaking when the game is happening stick to the game you know it just it made my head explode when people would say to me stick to the game anytime I addressed any of these issues it was on platforms like this or a pregame situation if there was a pertinent issue. Not during the game, not during the event. That's what people are there to watch. They want to watch the competition, even if they were in 100% agreement with the woke position. Most of those people still just want to watch the game. Um, We don't have enough time here to address all the specific issues you raise, legitimate as they might be. But as a catch-all, I will quote Bill Maher, And I'm kind of in his camp, and I'm sure you guys are aware. Here's Bill Maher, a lifelong liberal, who's catching heat now from the left because of common-sense positions. And what Bill has taken to saying is, if your position could be a headline in The Onion, which which is a satire (laughs) publication, if your position could be a headline in The the, uh, Onion, you have gone too far. You reside in Wokeville. Common sense should be should be a factor here. You can be a, a, simp- a person who's sympathetic and open-minded about wanting to grant dignity and agency to every person who is not trying to hurt anyone else and is just trying to live their lives as an American. You can be open-minded in that sense without having to read only from the same catechism over and over again. Um, and so there is an atmosphere that's been created and it's chilling more so to moderates and to liberals than it is to people who are hard right. To the people who are hard right, it's actually catnip because it gives them stuff to talk about and stuff to, stuff to characterize as this is what everybody who disagrees with Fox News, this is what all of these people are about, which, of course, 
is not true. But it's chilling to people who are moderates and, and liberals because your choice is either to sing with that chorus or shut up. And if you try to present a nuanced, contextualized position, you're going to be slapped down, especially in a Twitter world or a social media world, and you'll be characterized as something you are not. Bob, I have one last question, and we're coming up towards the, the end of our usual time span, and I realize mm-hmm. I should not have my last question be a giant uh, open-ended one, and yet it's on my mind. Um, yeah. Those of us who are not in the sports world, those of us who are just simply viewers of the Olympics, should we do anything different this cycle, watching? Should we, should we boycott? You know, like, we, we're not happy with what's going on. What should those of us outside all of this do? Well, it's always been the case. People have always said since the, the dawn of television and, and other media, if something ticks them off, whether for good reason or not, whether their reaction is proportionate or not, it's your option to grab the remote and change the channel or turn it off or to boycott sponsors. Any individual can do that uh, if they want to. Just factually, uh, there had to have been more than 100. I've never counted it up. But two out of well over 100 of those had a political tinge. The one about the Redskins team name, no matter how it might have been conveniently characterized by people who needed a straw man, I was very, very careful to differentiate myself or distance myself from political correctness. I've said then and I say now that most team names that are associated with Native Americans, Braves, Chiefs, Warriors, are not in and of themselves offensive. They're not by definition offensive. Now, if some of the logos or mascots or rituals surrounding it are offensive to some, that can be debated. But by definition, Braves, Chief, Warriors, that's an honorific. It's not that much different than Cowboy or Patriot. But get yourself a dictionary. Every dictionary defines Redskins as pejorative, an insult, a slur. Plus, you have the history of the Washington franchise, which is steeped in racism, not Daniel Snyder's fault in that respect, but going way back, they characterized themselves as Dixie's team. They used to play Dixie at halftime with a marching band, Um, and their owner in the late 50s and early 60s said, we'll have a black player when the Harlem Globetrotters have a white player. They did not have a black player until 1962 when there was some threat there were federal funds, as I remember it, somehow involved in what later became RFK Stadium. It was only then that they integrated. Redskins is a singularly offensive name, even if some polls showed that a majority of Native Americans had greater concerns or didn't care at all. But I wouldn't change a comma about that commentary. And when people say, why bring politics into it, what the hell? That was an NFL issue. It was halftime of a game in which Washington was playing Dallas, the very team we're talking about, and the issue had bubbled to the fore that week. President Obama had talked about it. Others had talked about it. It was a pertinent football issue. Now, to the last one. One of the biggest swings and misses of my career. You know, if you want to mix sports now, you want a mulligan like in golf, I want a mulligan on the gun thing. Um, not, Not because I've changed my mind but because I did a bad job of expressing what was on my mind. The background is Jovan Belcher, then outside Kansas City, little-known linebacker for the Chiefs, shoots and kills his fiancée, and then goes to uh, the training site and kills himself in front of his coach and uh, other personnel of the Chiefs. 
And the whole situation had been well covered all day long on the other networks that cover football. And there was a long segment preceding me on the halftime show where they talked about it and all of its aspects. And then they said, you're going to have a minute and 15 seconds. We want you to do something. Normally, I could put something together if you gave me two minutes, two and a half minutes. I should have said, no, I can't do any justice to this position. There were about three minutes to go in the second quarter, and someone called to my attention something that Jason Whitlock, longtime columnist in Kansas City, had written. And part of what he had written was about a gun culture, not about gun control, not about the Second Amendment, a gun culture, which he felt was rampant in certain segments of society and in sports, which almost never leads to anything good. It's ironic, by the way, that mm. Jason Whitlock is now a hero of the right. Jason Whitlock is, is your guy or one of your guys you go to to counter what people view as wokeism in sports. So I quoted from what, what he had written. And I thought, because of the way it struck me, and I was completely wrong in this, I thought that it would be obvious to the audience, for most of it, that I was talking about a gun culture. If you were to Google athletes and guns, the list of folly, criminality, tragedy that associated with athletes and guns, if you ran it as a scroll on the screen, it would take a long, long time. If, in the name of fairness, you were to counter with all the circumstances we can verify in which an athlete having a gun turned out to be a blessing because it turned a bad situation around for the better, they exist, but it would be a very short list in comparison. All right? There, there are certain attitudes. I mean, think about some of what you, what you hear in hip-hop lyrics that glorifies and glamorizes gunplay and gang life. I don't believe that that is to, to be used to characterize a large portion of, of the community, but it is a factor, all right? We're also talking about, and I didn't have time to, to say this, and I knew it at the time. I talked about it in other contexts. The, we know that the effects of head trauma, especially combined with perhaps performance-enhancing drugs and alcohol, this causes people to act in irrational ways. There's science, which is beyond my expertise, but to the extent I know it, there's science that says that damage to the prefrontal cortex, especially before age 25 or so, when the brain is more fully formed, has an effect on emotional control. All those things could have and likely did play a role in the way Jovan Belcher acted. I knew all that. I thought it was implied, and I was wrong. Okay. I immediately went to clarify my position. I went on shows like Dan Patrick's sports show the next day, and I thought, well, you might as well go in the belly of the beast, and I went on with Bill O'Reilly the next night on Fox. But people took that to mean because when they disagree with you in the current atmosphere, it isn't enough to disagree on the merits of the argument or lack of merits. They have to assign to you an unworthy motivation. They have to characterize you in a negative way as a person. And the actual body of work or what might fairly be known about the person be damned, it doesn't matter, whatever fits our narrative is what it's going to be. And so what that became then was, oh, he's now doing damage control. Nope. If, like with the Redskins commentary, if I stood behind it 100%, I would have stood behind it 100% the next day and to this day. But it didn't really, it didn't really reflect how I felt. Do I feel that there was a gun culture issue in sports? Yes. 
I think that was a point well taken, but it was a point that needed more time and nuance to be expressed. Was it a Second Amendment commentary? It was not. And for whatever it's worth, I have always felt and still feel that it is every American's right to, to own a gun responsibly to protect their home and family or for sporting purposes. We could probably talk about that. I think this has now turned into the longest episode of the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, but Bob, I have really enjoyed having you here. I think it's good for us to give you the time to lay it all out. And I really thank you for being here. I think this has been one of our best episodes. I don't think it would have gone twice as long as usual if you guys weren't jabbering so much. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, we'll make it a little more interactive. We do appreciate your time. We apologize that the martinis are virtual only. So, uh, Bob, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, we hope to have you back sometime. Thank you guys for the platform. Greg and Jim, happy holidays to you both. Same to you, sir. Take care. Bye. Jim, a lot to digest there. Plenty of reaction tomorrow from both of us, I'm sure. See you then. I'll see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lounge podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. Very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lounge podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. Please join us on Friday on the Three Martini Lounge. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, once your genuine gold and silver is delivered securely to my doorstep, what is the best way to safely store it? And how can I go about selling it once I'm ready to do so? Well, I recommend storing your gold and silver at a safety deposit box, except maybe keeping a little bit in a safe at home. And do not put the safe in your master bedroom or bathroom. That's the first place in a break-in that the bad guys go. And I would say that uh, I would uh, encourage people to ask for our free gold guide, which has been voted the best in the industry, which has an interview with law enforcement on things to do to reduce the chance of theft in the future. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.